Welcome to The Indigenous Approach, a podcast where we examine the role of the nation's premier partnered irregular warfare force across the competition continuum, from cooperation to conflict and everything in between. Welcome to The Indigenous Approach podcast. I'm Major Dan Lassard, the Public Affairs Officer for First Special Forces Command. I brought on Captain Ben Ordway for a short conversation ahead of the episode that's about to air. Ben's a civil affairs officer who previously served within the 95th Civil Affairs Brigade, and he's currently pursuing a master's in philosophy at the University of Michigan. This summer, he'll head to West Point to instruct cadets in the areas of philosophy and officership. Ben, welcome to the show. Good morning, sir. Thank you again for having me on the podcast. And as as I take it, you just had double foot surgery, so you're kind of laid back in a recline right now. I think I kind of have you captured, uh, your attention captured, so you're probably the easiest guest for me to get on this show. Probably. And I should say, if any of your listeners have the opportunity to get foot surgery done on both feet at the same time, don't do it. You know, my wife's been great. She's been having to do everything for me. Uh, But I think after three weeks of me asking for coffee and breakfast and then coffee, she's over it. But a lot of credit to her. (laughs) Look, before the holidays, you and I recorded an episode with Dr. Pauline Shanks-Karin. Why don't you introduce her for our audience and tell us about the connection between you two? Her formal title is Dr. Pauline Shakespeare is the Admiral James B. Stockdale Chair in Professional Military Ethics at the Naval War College. She has a PhD from Temple uh, and specializes in military ethics and just war theory, which explains why you know, we work together. Um, I first met the uh, professor three years ago or so when I was preparing my graduate writing sample for um, you know to get into the University of Michigan. Uh, that was an article focused on developing virtue ethics within soft education and training or promoting it, I should say. Kind of the big event was last October. She invited me out to Naval War College to present a portion of what I've been working on in grad school to the faculty in the leadership and profession of arms course there, as well as some faculty and staff from the Navy Leadership and Ethics Center. Dr. Shanks Grin uh, is a true steward of the profession of arms, someone who cares deeply about supporting the development of moral and ethical leaders. And to that end, she certainly aided in my professional development. And I look forward to continuing working with her. You know, I think it's important to note that your work in the program that you're in is sponsored by the leadership here at First Special Forces Command. What are you hoping to bring back to the command from that research? While I was at grad school, I wanted to bring something back meaningful to the operational force to address what I perceive to be a gap in how we educate and train soft for the moral dimension of their service. I just don't see enough preparation on that front once folks are at the unit. I think most folks can empathize with the current state of uh, ethics training, you know, online or compliance-based training or LPDs using what amounts to a, you know, repurposed business ethics book in the field guide. Those don't engage service members deeply enough, in my opinion, to truly provoke their moral intuitions. You know, I'm interested in seeing how people actually navigate the moral terrain and developing them along the way, as opposed to just talking about how they might navigate it. Um, so it began in the early stages with General Stephen Marks, Colonel Ed Crute, Lieutenant Colonel Nicole Alexander's mentorship turned into a graduate project uh, that First Special Forces Command has been sponsoring for the last 18 months or so. Kind of the next step is, you know, pending a new variant doesn't get in the way, is uh, I've been invited to present at an international ethics conference in Cincinnati next month. And I know you have some meetings with the command coming up where you're going to lay out the research you've been doing and some of your recommendations. Uh, so we're definitely looking forward to that. For now, let's turn uh, to the episode that's coming up. Our previous episode was with our Canon Conversations team led by Master Sergeant Chris Copper, and the team discussed moral injury. And I recommend folks listen to that episode in conjunction one with the one that we're about to play. 
Um, as always, it was very authentic conversation that we hope spurs reflection at the individual level as well as between teammates. You know, but if we're talking about moral injury, we're talking about the effects of decisions and actions after decisions and actions occur. So after they occur, often years later. The episode, uh, I think with you and the professor is more focused on kind of the pre-decision or action phase and using more reasoning, ethical leadership to prevent some of those type of things from happening that may cause moral injury later on. Am I getting that right? I think that's on the mark, sir. I guess I should say, I think it's important to note what the episode doesn't do, and that is it doesn't advance any notion that special operations forces need a special set of ethics, as some have argued. Uh, you know, granted, SOF have unique missions, uh, unique permissions and authorities, but the virtues, our moral duties, they don't change because we've swapped one beret for another. And I have to say one thing from this episode that stuck out to me was uh, when the professor said, not an exact quote, but you can't be a good leader without being both a moral leader and also making the leap to being an ethical leader. And she explains the difference uh, pretty well in the episode, so I'm not going to unpack it here. But my overall takeaway is that while this episode is about moral reasoning and ethics, it's really an episode on good leadership. And I think there is plenty that all leaders in our organization will be able to take away from this episode. So uh, looking forward to uh, to getting to it. Yeah, and I think uh, leaders... You know, service members in general will be able to take away some tangible things from the episode that they can implement, you know, in the near term, which is always helpful. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again today, Ben. Let's get to the episode. All right. Professor Pauline shanks Corinne and Captain Ben Orderway, welcome to the Indigenous Approach Podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Professor, let's start the conversation with you. Uh, the terms often get used interchangeably. Um, can you help us wrap our heads around morals and ethics? So we're working with the the same language framework. Um, sure. And if people are confused about that, um, that's not uncommon. Um, so this is something we talk about at the war college and, and I might define things differently than the dictionary. I don't think the dictionary is helpful here. So morals have to do with any claim about what is right or wrong. So if I say I don't eat bacon on Thursdays uh, because I think it's wrong, that's a moral claim. Uh, if the Navy says our core values are honor, courage, and commitment, that's a moral claim. If the United States of America says we're committed to the liberal international order as a moral value, uh, that's a moral claim. So it doesn't matter the level of uh, complexity or whether it's an individual or a group or organization. If it's a moral claim, you know, if it's a claim about what's right and wrong, then that's morals or morality. Ethics is thinking about, talking about, giving justifications for or articulating your reasons about moral claims. So if, uh, if Ben asked me, uh, okay, why don't you eat the bacon on Wednesdays, then we're engaged in ethics. And when I tell him my reasons, and then maybe we have some back and forth, maybe he wants to push a little or argue with me, or, or maybe he thinks it's a good idea, that conversation, that articulation is ethics. So sort of loosely, ethics is the study of, or the, the discussion of, or the analysis of, of, of morality. So morality is, is at a basic level and Ethics is sort of one level up in terms of complexity. Ethics is looking at uh, morality or thinking about morality. 
so throughout the conversation, I imagine I'll probably talk more about um, moral reasoning. Um, and I think related to the Professor Shanks Corinne uh, response is that because our professional military ethic is a body of moral um, considerations, I focus on the first order component because we don't get that right. Then I think moving to ethics um, is already going to be on a shaky foundation. So I think we need both. We need leaders who can evaluate moral claims and then make an ethical you know, decision based on an understanding of those claims. But if you don't even understand your own kind of moral foundations, it seems to me that that jump will be um, kind of on shaky ground. So I kind of focus more on the lower level, um, more throughout um, what I've been working on. And I would say just in, in terms of my work, so I think most of your listeners, I would say, are probably moral leaders. They have a sense of their own moral compass of what they think is right and wrong. Part of my work and part of what I think we need more of is ethical leadership, which is leaders that can think about, discuss, articulate an ethical vision, uh, navigate moral disagreement. It won't come as a surprise to anyone that humans disagree about moral claims. So I think ethical leadership requires the sort of higher level thinking about and, and engagement of ethics. And as soon as you're thinking actually about your own ethics and asking yourself, why do I believe what I believe? You're engaged in ethics. So ethics is something you can sort of do yourself. So some moral reasoning is morality, but some of what we call moral reasoning is really engaged in ethical reflection. What what does it take for a leader to jump from moral leadership to ethical leadership? Um, I, I think it, first of all, it takes humility. It, it takes an understanding that your way of looking at the world is not the way in which everyone looks at the world. And a willingness and an openness to hear what other people have to say and also to have your views sort of questioned or, or to have to articulate uh, what you think. So I think very often, and I know this happens to me as a parent, like when my son is pushing back on something, I'm like, no, I'm your mother. This is just the way it is. Um, and, and I think that's um, an understandable response. But it's really important for us, especially as leaders, to be able to talk about why does the have those three core values or the Army's core values in any case? Um, and, and, and how are they put together and why are they important and where did they come from? And, and maybe sometimes things need to change. So I think ethical leadership allows us to be agile. It's not, it's not a matter of saying anything goes, but over time, some of our moral claims change, in fact, have changed, especially around, say, race and gender, but how we view maybe the importance of property or the importance of individual speech or other sorts of moral questions have in fact changed and undergone an evolution. So it's important to be able to articulate that and be able to participate in, in conversations uh, about that, especially to articulate to your people, what is honor and why is it important or what is integrity and why does it matter? I think that especially uh, as you're leading younger and younger folks, and I spent a lot of time in undergraduate, teaching undergraduate, uh, the, the generations coming your way are, are not going to take the, well, that's just the way it is. That's always how we've done it. You're going to have to be able to articulate the why. Yeah, Ben, I, I want to uh, jump down to you a little bit, a little bit more to the uh, kind of direct leadership level, maybe. Um, we're talking about this leap from uh, moral leadership, kind of I, I'm leading in a, in, a, in a good way. I'm doing the right things, uh, at, you know, 
showing the example and doing the right things. But ethical leadership is kind of a little bit more uh, broader in terms of uh, thinking about it, talking about it, um, helping people to understand kind of at a higher level um, what we're getting into. What does that look like? Um, you're a civil affairs officer. What does that look like for a civil affairs team going out the door? Like, what, how, how can a leader show ethical leadership? What, what, what would that look like? Uh, well, I think what Professor Shanks Grin said about humility, um, I would add on to that, you know, more refined intellectual humility. Um, so for a civil affairs team, one officer, one senior NCO, two junior NCOs, um, you know, you come in from the conventional military and you might think, OK, I've, I've been selected because whatever I uh, currently possess is what's needed. Therefore, I'm good to go. I don't I'm in charge. I'm the officer. I don't need to change. And that would be and maybe your morals are great. But uh, I would assume that the reason you went to special operations is because you were looking for a change and the environments you're going to be in are going to be different than the ones you've previously experienced. You're with people who have. Um, you know, that same desire to experience kind of the, the stress and the ambiguity of a special operations uh, mission set. So if you come in with only your kind of rigid, even if it, it generally works for you or it worked in the past, but you're only willing to entertain your moral vision of the world, then you are sure a moral leader. But I just assume that um, you're not going to be equipped to deal with all of the ambiguity that the situation presents you um, when you're you know, you're away from Fort Bragg or wherever you're at, you have to be willing to go, wait a minute. Okay. I, I feel like I am not in this moment, perhaps the most equipped to deal with the situation. Maybe I should evaluate. Am I even looking at this the right way? And what's great about being on a team, should you have the time you would, you know, entertain everyone else's uh, views on something. And then by definition, if you're kind of evaluating um, different folks, moral claims, moral, moral perspectives, then you're engaging in ethics. Um, so I guess, to go back to the quickest answer would be be willing to um, exercise some intellectual humility and say, sure, I might have got selected for whatever reasons, but I still need to be willing to um, grow and develop. Um, and, you know, the moral dimension of the job is, is a pretty foundational one. We have to be willing to to uh, develop accordingly. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, as we've talked previously, Ben, you you have a, uh, I think, a great uh, kind of response about what makes special operations special. Um, not sure if this is the place you wanted to say it here, but uh, I think it kind of fit in right there a little bit. Um, yeah, I I've thought about this, um, you know, at length. I know we spoke about it earlier. I think um, if you look at our our. Uh, and I'm sure Professor Shanks Green can can empathize here. Our recruiting, um, you know, the commercials, whether they're the formal commercials that uh, you know the Army puts out, uh, first SFC puts out, or they're, you know, some um, kind of lower level unit um, videos that come out, which are ostensibly recruiting commercials. They generally are highlighting very specific things about special operations community, and that's, you know, the cool equipment, the color of your beret, uh, you know, if you're riding a snow machine, for example, all this fun stuff. Um, that is a part of the job. Um, you know, you're wearing a suit in an embassy environment, but I just, I think maybe we get so hung up on those, um, appearances and those superficial differences between, um, you know, uh, the conventional military and special operations that we forget. What I think what makes special operations special is the fact that there is so much more trust bestowed on you from military and political leaders in society, whether that society knows that or not is a different question, maybe. 
but you are put in situations intentionally which are ambiguous, um, which are politically sensitive, um, to make decisions with minimal oversight. And there's a lot of trust that goes with that. And because they're morally ambiguous sometimes, often, you have to have a moral foundation and you know, and a willingness to engage in ethical um, discussions and reasoning. So I think the more that we develop that, the more that we really um, carve out why we're special, if we want to even say that we're special. Um, you, we have to be able to uh, thrive cognitively in those environments where there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of pressure at the same time. Um, and I think the more that we educate, train, possibly select for, you know, moral reasoning, ethical uh, leadership, then we'll have more success and less uh, headlines being made for the wrong reasons when we're far away or even at home. Yeah, so I would just add on to that um, as a civilian um, and as the client in question for whom uh, y'all work, um, that trust issue is huge. And when we say morally ambiguous environment, we don't mean there are no moral standards here. It means that there are going to be lots of moral dilemmas, which is a, a situation where it's genuinely unclear what the right thing to do is. And there may be more than one thing that might be the right thing to do. But that doesn't mean there's no wrong thing to do. Intentionally targeting non-combatants is war crimes. Um, and I don't expect you to do that. Um, and in fact, I expect you not to do that. Um, so, so I think we have to be careful about what moral ambiguity means, what we're selecting you for. Uh, what, what I think of special forces as is exactly what Ben just said. Yes, we have a lot of trust in you. Yes, we're sending you into these difficult situations. And I am expecting that you've been trained and educated to have good professional judgment and discretion in line with the moral values and the norms and the practices of the military profession. That's what I'm trusting you with. I'm trusting you that you will, because you are acting in my name, you are carrying out missions in the name of the, the United States of America and on behalf of, of uh, the United States citizens, which means ultimately I'm morally responsible for what happens, for what you do. So you're acting as, a, as an agent, you're my agent. Um, and so what I am trusting you with is that you have this judgment, you have this discretion, you have not just the sense of your own morality, but a sense of the morality that's required by the role and by the specific mission in question. Um, the other thing is that you're being sent into complex, not just complicated situations, but complex situations. And so there's there's all kinds of cognitive and moral reasoning uh, things that we're expecting those members of the special forces to exhibit um, that we might not expect at the same level uh, for other members of, of the military. So it is it is a tremendous burden, and we're expecting a lot. And and that trust um, is an earned thing um, if it becomes clear, as it does sometimes, that that trust is violated. That's that's a serious issue. And as we all know from our personal relationships, once trust is violated, it takes some time to reestablish that. Um, so the best way to deal with that is to try as much as we can to avoid those violations. Everyone's human. That's not what this is about, right? We're talking about are you acting within the context of, of the kind of morals and norms that we expect as part of the military profession?
Yeah, Ben, let me let me ask you this. Let's make the leap now. So we said we expect uh, a lot, right? Special operations is special because, as you described, uh, there's a lot of trust and uh, judgment involved, right? We, there's expectations there. So, you know, is is morals and ethics trainable? Do we? Is it an education thing? Like, so how do we prepare our folks to 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 take on that responsibility? Um, so I guess it depends what you mean by training. Um, I tend to think of ethics in terms of education, but if you're thinking of training in terms of practice, uh, then then maybe we could. So if you think of training as let's we're going to do a PowerPoint presentation on the four moral perspectives, no, that's not that it's not trainable. Like uh, moral judgment and and moral or, or ethical awareness, ethical reflection, all these kinds of things are things that have to be practiced. Uh, so you go through just like in any other military context, you go through scenarios, you go through drills, you go through through practice, um, and then you do AAR or hot wash, and you do critique process, and and you and you get better. So I think it's like any other kind of capacity or skill that we train, educate, prepare. I prefer sort of prepare for. Um, and, and it requires practice and it requires habituation because as I tell my uh, students, and I've always told even my undergraduate students, if the first time uh, that you're thinking about the combatant, non-combatant distinction is, is when you're pointing a gun at someone, that's a really bad time to be thinking about that, right? We should have pre-gamed all of these moral dilemmas, at least as much as we can, the kinds of things that you're going to face in, in different missions, just like we pre-game everything else about as, as much as we can, whatever mission it is that you're going to go on. So yes, I, I, I don't think it's a, well, you're either moral or you're not. Um, and, and as I said, there's a particular, there's particular moral standards that come with the military profession, also that come with special forces because of the kinds of missions that you all are engaged in. And there may be specific moral considerations to your specific mission, depending on are you going to be engaging with civilians and non-combatants? I mean, what is it that you're going to be doing? What are the possible, are there going to be, you know, is there a possibility you'll have to engage with child soldiers, whatever it is, right? So I think this is something we should definitely prepare for in practice. Um, and that can be through discussion, that can be through activity, wargaming, scenarios, however you all you know, would like to do that. Um, but I think that there's uh, important preparation that has to happen so that you're ready, just like you're ready. I mean, we don't, I presume, perhaps I'm presuming here, but I'm presuming that when you all are given firearms and just hand it to you and say, good luck with that. Hope you can shoot straight. That's not my sense of how that goes. Um, but I think very often we sort of, we tell people, well, go do the right thing. That's great, but how do you know what the right thing is? Right. That's a really complicated, difficult question, especially in these kinds of mission uh, sets that that you all are doing. So I think preparation and rehearsal uh, is really, really important. If, if I could uh, maybe add on to the, the you know, the interest um, or what I'm interested in is I, I don't disagree with anything that Professor Jenks Corinne just said, but I think where we will maybe fall into a trap of. Um, we think that we're actually training, uh, you know, this moral reasoning and, and ethical uh, decision-making, ethical leadership. 
Um, but actually, we're just putting a person in another position where they know they're being evaluated, and then they're kind of, uh, you know, some call it, you know, social desirability bias. They're putting on a show because they know that, or they feel anyway that, okay, I cannot, I will not deploy if I make, you know, a mistake, or if my boss is here and evaluating me, I must, I must be perfect. Um, and where I think we need to, um, just like we do with any other training, which was mentioned, we, you know, anticipate enemy threats. We evaluate the train that we're going to be going on. I think the moral train aspect should be included in training with a slight difference in that we don't overtly emphasize that this is what is being evaluated and not from a past fail perspective, unless someone has like some egregious red flags, like they're just wantonly engaging in during the training exercise, you know, in like what would be a war crime while deployed. But people who, um, you, know, you put them in a morally safe training environment uh, where they are allowed to make mistakes and to demonstrate moral courage. And then after the fact, you go, great job. You trained on X, Y, Z, whatever. You qualified 100% on this training objective. Um, but here's what we were actually also evaluating. And you were successful in um, understanding your emotions. Um, you didn't really demonstrate moral disengagement, which we'll talk about later. And you you considered the other um moral perspective of your team. Great job. And likewise, it might be the exact opposite of those when a person goes through this event. And it's just an, what I'm interested in is just providing that sheet to the person where there is no pass fail component. Um, and that person has this um, with them and they can refer back to it and reflect, uh, which I hope we talk about more. And, and you turn that training event into, yep, you've already achieved what the commander needs to do to deploy these, these um, mission essential tasks, but you've raise to the surface the moral dimensions of that very same training so that the person can experience the emotional aspect of it in the moral dimension before they go off and deploy. And then they can reflect on it because you've given them something to refer to. Yeah, I actually really agree with Ben on that. I would also say we need to rethink if, if training is just about what you do before you deploy, I think that's only one piece of training. I think training and education is, as we say at the War College, I say every day is ethics day, right? So training and education should continue. It's not just a sort of, okay, we and you have to certify that people are ready to go, but then there's still training, there's maintenance, uh, if you will, that, that happens while you are deployed. And then there's things that need to happen after you after you come back. So I guess I, I agree with um, Ben on this. I think the feedback loop has to be constant. Ethics has to be part of every conversation, uh, even if it's only a small piece of everything that, that the military does. And I think it's, it's easier then, right? Because it's not, oh, I have to set aside time to do ethics as if it's a special thing. It's integrated with everything else, which is which is the approach that we take. And I think that's the approach that, for people who are, you all have a lot to do, right? So like having it integrated, having it being 30 seconds here, a minute here, five minutes there, just then it, then it becomes part of the habituation. It becomes more natural and it gets integrated with all of those other skills. Ethics is not a separate consideration. If I could just um, antagonize a little bit more. <laughs> you, you asked us during our initial kind of meeting, sir, um, about ethics, and maybe I'm leading into a question here anyway, about ethics sounding corporate, um, the, the term sounding very corporate and um, almost bureaucratic. And I think to many, I don't want to say I speak for, you know, every captain and below, I'll just my experience is the way that we kind of, uh, at the operational, so your post 
professional military education before you're into your next one or your unit. Uh, I agree. It does sound corporate because we've confused, I think, um, you know, compliance training with character development. And so we we set aside time for ethics. We carve out time. It usually involves taking someone's lunch or telling them that before um, they come to work on Monday, they need to have this certificate that they printed out from um, ATAR's JKO course. Uh, it's an hour long. You click through, you're drinking coffee and listening to a podcast while you're doing it. And it just kind of delegitimizes what is like the most foundational thing, which I've argued earlier, which, you know, if you want to say we're special, and this applies to the whole military, but perhaps special operations more, is you have to have a, a skill, a habituation of exercising moral reasoning and, and ethical judgment. Um, so the more that we do compliance-based training, the more that we, uh, you know, print out ethics, ethics field guides and tell people, hey, go be go be ethical in the abstract in a classroom for this hour. And we're, best case scenario is people walk away a little jaded with the term. Worst case scenario, what I think is actually happening is commanders think that their organizations actually have met the requirement. Like, okay, they've got it. Now we can proceed to the next thing. When in reality, what Dustin Hanks Grin said is it's in everything. It's it's in how you uh, engage in conversation in your cubicle and in a chat room, as you know, uh, General Brendan mentioned, and in combat. It's all encompassing. And if you just carve out special time and treat it like compliance-based training, it's going to be dumped for you know what people legitimately think are more important things. Um, so until we emphasize it like continuously and don't treat it as just some inconvenience, um, you know, it's, it's going to be. I think we're going to continue to. F- fail to really make meaningful change in the way people evaluate themselves and reflect on, you know, what's being asked of them. Yeah, I think it further confusions. We also use the term ethics to refer to what our JAG friends will quite rightly, like, tell us, right? Like, there's ways in which I'm not supposed to use my government credit card, right? And so I, when I came into the War College, I got the JAG, you know, briefing. So I think in many people's minds, the, the legal aspect is what they're thinking of. And definitely, um, you know, I, I know it sounds corporate, but but let's recall that the term ethics, you know, at least in the Western tradition, you know, is several thousand years old. But yes, it has become identified, especially coming out of the business world. I thought business ethics for a long time as, as compliance, right? Um, not as either character development or as part of what I think of as leader development. I don't think you can be a good leader without engaging in both moral and ethical leadership. It's as simple as that. Um, and so I think as long as we think of as compliance, ethics as compliance, you have that problem. You have an even deeper problem, which is if it's just compliance, then there's a really high a very human motivation to engage in some of the moral disengagement that Ben talks about, but there's also a high motivation to cover up, right, when there's a mistake, because then you've broken a rule, you're going to get in trouble, and that's how you think of ethics, right, as like, you know, like a child, like I'm mom's going to punish me for breaking the moral rule, and that's really a misunderstanding of, of what ethics actually can be, which is about how you navigate 
in the world and who you think your obligations are to and how you treat other people and how you engage in all of the activities that are a part of not just your military career, but how you treat your friends, your family, the person in the grocery store, all of things. It's, just, it's about what does it mean to be a human being? Um, so when we think about ethics just as compliance, it really it really cheapens it. And that's not actually what ethics is about at all. And that if you have that focus, it should not be a surprise that you have violations, that you have problematic cultures. Ethics is about not just individuals, but it's also about culture. How do we act together? What are the kinds of things that we will tolerate? and not tolerate, and how will I approach Ben? If he says something, then I think, well, you know, Ben, that's a little sexist. And maybe you don't understand, like, how that made me feel, right? We could just, like, write Ben up and issue a citation or, or whatever the equivalent is, or I could go to Ben as a human being and say, here's how this made me feel when you said this. Maybe you don't realize that that was the effect. So I think ethics is so much, so Ben's absolutely right, but it needs to be so much broader and so much deeper. It's about who we are as human beings. You know, what? I want to take a quick turn to, you know, the, the, the importance of, of uh, why it's so important to do that. So we just had an episode where we talked about moral injury and we talked about folks in our formation really struggling, some of them struggling with some of some of the decisions that they've made over the last 20 years uh, or their, you know, in, in their career. And th- there's some real effects from that. Um, and so I, you know, as I'm we're talking about this, I'm thinking. Folks in our force don't want to click through PowerPoint where they get their certificate in an hour like they if if they're got, if they're seeing the effects of 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 not uh, engaging in, eth- in ethics and really thinking through, and so we prevent some of this stuff, then I would imagine that the force wants a change. They want this paradigm shift that maybe Ben is, is, uh, is talking about. And so what, that they're better prepared is, I mean, is that kind of, I don't know. I, I think our folks want to be the best trained, the most prepared, you know, and I think we're, we have a blind spot here. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, I see that as a core college. So, so I teach, uh, I'm one of the faculty to teach our leadership and profession of arms course, which is a core leadership and ethics course. There's, at least in my section, there's no PowerPoint, right? It's discussion. Uh, we, we, we engage in readings, but they also engage in reflection on their past experiences and try to think about what their next job is going to be and what those responsibilities are. So it's a lot of conversation in person on discussion board. There's some journaling. Uh, there's some there's some writing. And the final assignment is a, is a leader development plan that they develop for themselves about what are things that they would like to work on in their in their development as leaders, which also includes ethics. Uh, we do a lot of cases. We do a lot of sort of scenarios and, and role playing and all kinds of different things uh, that 
are very different than what people's experience with ethics have been. So I think people, and this has been really well received, students say this is really um, impactful and helpful and it's, it's gotten them thinking about things that they hadn't thought about before. And for many of our students, this is the beginning of the journey, not the end. Um, and so I think people are hungry for, you know, to talk about these things. So uh, just a note, we were starting our fall semester, just uh, the first lesson, which is on the profession of arms, was as we were withdrawing from Afghanistan. And so many of our many of our students, this is a joint program, uh, had been to Afghanistan and were wrestling with, some of them were wrestling with moral injury, some of them with maybe guilt or moral erosion or other kinds of, of things. Um, and it was important to, either in class or 101 or in their journal, start to process some of what was going on with them because there was a, this event that was happening that for some people was, was, was surfacing, maybe things they hadn't had time to think about or maybe needed help thinking through uh, to have someone maybe ask them some questions. Um, and I know you've had an earlier uh, podcast on moral injury and um, that, you know, sort of getting help or processing. There's lots of ways to do that, obviously. Um, but I do think that's important. I mean, and I think conversation, whether it's one-on-one or in a group of, of, of trusted peers, this is a peer group in our classes. Seminars are small. Um, it, that can be a really helpful way to, to start to engage some of these questions, especially if you have someone maybe like myself who could who can ask some questions, who can bring it maybe a different perspective um, or, you know, someone like Ben who could take them through an exercise. I think those kinds of things can be really valuable. Any thoughts on that question, Ben? Uh, the first part, I think um, I agree just having, you know, run like a little pilot course about two years ago when I first started getting interested in this, a commander was trying to fill a space in the training calendar caused by, you know, the, the first month of the COVID pandemic. So everyone's training was screwed up at Bragg. And one of the uh, civil affairs company commanders found out that I was applying to graduate school for philosophy and uh, I immediately became like the de facto philosopher. And I told him I'm not, but either way, I'd be happy to like try this out because it's good practice, you know, if I'm going to teach one day. Um, put folks through a course, talk about moral disengagement, use real life examples, personal stories, um, you know, ongoings in the media and evaluate them through that lens of moral disengagement, cognitive biases, and like the emotional um, content of that situation and how the person reacted emotionally uh, and or rationally uh, to a situation. And the feedback was great. Uh, and it wasn't cherry picking it. It was like, wow, I wish we would just do this more often instead of, you know, this compliance based approach. They didn't say compliance based, but they pretty much said, you know, the LPDs that take away my lunch hour, the online courses. And so I think I made the course challenging. There was a lot of homework, which is, you know, generally foreign um, to operational units, the idea of, you know, doing stuff at home. Um, and they appreciated it. And from what I found, just that little, you know, small sample size was that if you make the concept, if you frame it not in terms of a requirement, but in terms of a challenge, um, and it's actually, in, maybe fun is the wrong word, but it's something approaching fun to really evaluate like your previous performance and to anticipate what's actually 
you know, the moral dimension of what you're about to engage in when you're deployed or as you're preparing for deployment. And you start to treat it like a challenge and an opportunity to succeed. I think it changes people's mindset from, oh, this is some requirement that is my commander is making busy work because we don't have a, a training plan because of COVID or whatever into, wow, I actually learned something about myself. I now can anticipate a little bit you know, better the, the challenges I'll, I'll likely face while we're deployed. Um, and folks enjoyed it. And it's pretty strange when you have people asking for further readings. Um, it's just staff sergeants, sergeants, first class captains, I mean, across the board. Um, and it was exciting. So it gives me some little bit of, you know, hope that uh, we can change the way that people look at, at this, the, you know, these ancient subjects, which are far more than bureaucratic corporate language. They're, they're about you as a human being. And they're about developing you. I think I've never run into any of my students who don't want to be a, a better leader, right? They want to be a better leader. They want to be really good at what they do. Um, and once they see that this is part of it and, and that they can develop some capacities and that they can improve and then they can teach other people, the people that they lead how to do this, then I think it becomes like Ben said, very powerful. Um, yeah, Ben, I'm I'm glad um, you got that chance to do it while while you were here in the command as a civil affairs officer. What what's been your experience like at uh, Michigan? I know you have uh, you know you're looking at uh, pursuing an opportunity with Professor Shanks Grant at the Naval War College. What's that looking like? Uh, at the university, um, I'm trying to take as many ethics courses as I can because uh, you know as much as I'd hope that folks are in the military are engaging in like metaphysical discussions about the nature of reality. I just don't know if it's the most relevant part of the job at the moment, but ethics certainly um, is and specifically applied ethics. So I'm working on kind of a side project. I don't even know if you could call it like uh, sanctioned um, University of Michigan research. It's not, but there are a lot of professors who are, are kind of mentoring me along the way, Professor Shanks Grin, one of them, about how to improve the way we educate for moral reasoning, but I'm really focused on the training aspect and specifically the type of training I, I talked about, which is exposure training. It's not, um, it's not running through scenarios that the service members are aware of, and then they kind of adapt their behavior to accommodate, you know, a passing grade. It's how do we develop scenarios that allow a person to understand themselves better and their team and to grow. Um, so I've been working on um, a moral reasoning process, which, is just assumes that we have a human being in front of us and not a computer program. Um, and maybe just to plug for that, the kind of the existing models for, for moral reasoning that we teach at professional military education venues are, they assume that you have a very rational um, actor who's in a perfect environment. They're well-fed, they're well-rested. They have all the information at their disposal. So it generally goes like this. Identify, it sounds like a troop leading procedure model. Identify the problem, develop courses of action, evaluate those courses of action, implement them. And um, I think what we know about human behavior over the last 30 years of behavioral economics, you know, advances in social psychology, is that generally when people are under stress, they don't think that way. They do not think like an algorithm, like a computer. They identify the problem in usually some form of panic, whether it's internal panic, internal struggle. And then how do they resolve that panic? They go, oh, shit, uh, how can I get out of this? And then guilty as charged. I think it's a human nature to go. That's that is one response. But then ideally, there's a, like a pause button. And we, I think this is where we can start to have the training take effect is, OK, wow, I'm feeling that emotion that I feel when I tend to evade my responsibility 
well, I feel like I want to pass the buck to my superiors because they gave me an order, you know, displacement responsibility. Pause. Those emotions are telling me something about the situation. Evaluate the emotions. And then don't just jump into about a developing courses of action, because if you do that without evaluating yourself first, my hypothesis anyway, is that all of your courses of action will be geared toward what you naturally are predisposed to wanting to do, which is to some extent, evade the situation so that you aren't implicated. You know, when there's a situation of how do we get X number of troops to the range? No big deal. We have a truck, we have resources, we have ammunition, get them on the truck. There's really not a lot of emotion involved unless you're late, you know, to the range. Big deal. When it's, I think my reputation's on the line here. I might be fired. There are all these rules that uh, were mentioned earlier that, oh my God, I think we broke them. We didn't mean to break them, but now what are we going to do? Team, gather in. Let's all diffuse responsibility among the team. Let's get our story straight. And no one needs to know because you know what? Ah, yes, the mission's more important. So now we rationalize and morally justify the mission as being more important and allowing us to just this once get away with this. And we know we'll never do it again because we're good people. And then we actually believe it and we go about our day. I'm interested in breaking that cycle because one, it is not usually more than once. The more that you do those little exceptions for yourself, the more that it becomes easier and they usually get more severe. Again, a hypothesis. I don't think people like Matthew Goldstein and Eddie Gallagher woke up and said, I want to destroy America's uh, you know, trust as much as I can in this week with my behavior. I think it happens along the way. They morally disengage. It's not, it's not checked by the organization. Um, they never really evaluate the emotional content uh, of a moral situation. And their team either facilitates, enables, or in some cases, in the case of Eddie Gallagher, he is considered at one point, you know, the paradigm Navy SEAL. And um, it's a lot I've just packaged in, I think, to that response. Um, but University of Michigan, I am trying to have people change the way they, they, they respond to situations with high moral content by evaluating themselves first so that they do not morally disengage so that we can get ahead of this spiraling out of control um, in some cases when that happens. Yeah. So moral reasoning is kind of what I'm working on. No, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Ben. Um, Professor, as we kind of start wrapping up uh, today, you know, you you studied this for a long time. Um, what gives you pause or makes you worried in what you're seeing currently? And also, I'm, I'm wondering kind of what you're hopeful about. What, where's the opportunities that you're seeing? Um, I guess what worries me is I wouldn't, you know, I my dissertation was on the My Lai Massacre. So I, I I wouldn't necessarily say things are, are getting worse if we look at the history of, of warfare, right? Um, some of the things that we're wrestling with have always been wrestled with. And I think if you read war literature throughout the ages, you find these these kinds of themes, even moral injury. Uh, but what does worry me is, is some of what Ben was just talking about, the extent to which we are willing and able, especially institutionally, to pass off responsibility, to to not really step into the moment and deeply engage and say, okay, what's going on here? Um, And how can I take a moment and do the right thing, even if that's going to be really, really difficult? Um, so, So I think moral courage is very hard, especially when sometimes the institutions actually are set up in ways that that have disincentives to do that. So what I worry is about how to, you know, habituate and educate and train our leaders 
so that they can think about things in a different way, so that they're willing to push that pause button in the moment, because that's really hard. In the military, there's a bias for action, right? We got to go, we got to get stuff done, um, which I understand there's good reasons for that. But especially the more senior senior you are, the more uh, it's important to take that pause and, and to think think things through and to be self-aware as, as a leader. So I, I worry that that's not something that's modeled. It's not something that is rewarded, say, in promotion systems. Um, and it's not something that perhaps is broadly part of various military cultures. Uh, what does give me hope is that when people are presented with the opportunity to develop themselves, uh, to engage in ethics, they want to. And in fact, at the War College on the Stockfield Chair, I get many phone calls from people, especially in sort of special forces communities saying, listen, I see there's a problem. I want to do something, but I don't want it to be a PowerPoint presentation. I don't want it to be the training we usually have. Can you help me think through something that makes sense in our operational environment and makes sense for the crew that I have? I love getting those phone calls. Because then we can have a conversation and I can say, what works for you? Like, tell me about what's going on. Tell me what we can do. That's going to be kind of fun, uh, engaging, meaningful, maybe like Ben said, a challenge. Uh, but where we can really have you dig in uh, and as a group in your unit, start to change the culture. Because I think you can change the culture slowly if you can start in these smaller groups. And that's also what I see with my students at the War College, the ones who, who email me after they left and say, can you give me some more readings or can you help me think through this thing that happened last week and, and, and I want to do something to address it. I've got some ideas. Uh, so the way in which people are reaching out, and I think they do want help and they want to do ethics, but they want to do it in a meaningful way. Uh, in the context of their operational environment, which I think is really important. I think it's really important for people for me, like me to understand uh, that people are willing to do ethics, but it, it has to make sense given all the other demands they have on their time. And, the, and it has to be integrated in the things that they're already doing. But that's completely doable. It's very easy. And it's not. And afterwards, people say, wow, I thought this was going to be really hard. It really wasn't that hard to do. I, I just needed to start doing it. Man, I, what do you want our soldiers and our leaders to know? Well, I, I think I developed a quip over the last few weeks. Um, you know, until they start selling moral compasses at the PX, you probably need to do a better job um, developing moral reasoning, ethical decision making. And what Professor Shanks Corrin just said is it's it's surprisingly not that hard to have really meaningful discussions. If 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 a commander is listening to us right now and says, okay, I love the idea of training that's going to involve my S3 and resourcing, and it just I'll get to it. But if they go, what can I do? I don't know, like Friday next week. Um, just watched. So there's plenty out there in the media that you can pull from. I mean, you want, if you're a sports guy, evaluate the Chicago Blackhawks debacle right now, sexual assault male on male, but the guy wanted to win the Stanley Cup, you know, so he put off dealing with that, right? The coach. Um, you could look at uh, the ongoing Elizabeth Holmes um, trial right now with Theranos about justifying all of these um, terrible <laughs> business practices and, and testing on patients without their knowledge. Do, morally disengaging comes up in, in waves in that. Um, and you can relate that to 
how we might reason in the military when we have an objective we're trying to achieve. And you just, it's a 60 minute video. You follow that with an hour conversation, two hours out of your day, you've engaged people on a very important topic of ethics, moral disengagement separately. Eddie Gallagher podcast, free Apple. Uh, it's called the line um, podcast. And it just details the Eddie Gallagher saga and an organizational culture, which may have enabled to some extent that behavior. Um, those are things you could do in the classroom that would already be, they wouldn't be compliance then. They would be a discussion about ethics um, and specific, you know, individuals' moral reasoning along the way. I mean, that already would be a huge improvement. It would be engaging. It would be multimedia. Um, so that would be short-term thing that commanders can do. And I think in the long term, even if you're not willing or able to resource, you know, this kind of unique training that I'm, I'm geared for, um, that I've been working on, is... Just talk about it in the field with spend five minutes going, okay, you're at the range. Why do the targets you're shooting at look like human beings? It's because they're going to be human beings when you're deployed, um, which might seem kind of obvious, but so, I think so often we distance ourselves from in, in our training from what it's actually designed to, to have us do when we're deployed. And if a commander just says, I want to talk about, you know, the way that you went in the room or the way that um, you all spoke about why you're doing this training and just engage their kind of moral intuitions on it, that would already be a huge improvement. Um, and you let them answer and, and maybe make, you know, what you might deem a mistake, but to them, it's the way that they reason through something. And now you're talking about ethics all over again, because you're having a disagreement about, you know, right and wrong. Just talking about it outside of a classroom, already an improvement. Um, and I think we can build on that. If nothing else, stop the compliance-based training. You got to do the compulsory legal briefs. I understand that's required by, um, you know, law. And uh, but beyond that, you do not have to have to have soldiers. They should not be doing ethics on a computer. That's that's what I would end with. Professor, thanks. Uh, we really do appreciate you spending the time. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, speaking with you and Ben this uh, this morning. And uh, thanks again for for coming. Last word is to you. Uh, thank you. Um, and also thank you to Ben. Uh, honored to be on here with Ben, who's, who's doing really good work. And, and I would, I would just say it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it needs to be authentic, right? And, and actually ethical reflection is a part of uh, who we are as human beings. Children engage in ethical reflection from a very young age. And if you have teenagers, it's happening in your houses. They're asking you, why do I have to follow this rule? So I, I think just just start the conversation, start leaning into to thinking about these things and encourage people to, to reach out if they would like assistance or, or ideas. There are lots of people who, who would be really happy to, to support you and, and connect you and to give you ideas. But this podcast is a, is a wonderful start. Well, thank, thanks both for your time today. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. This has been The Indigenous Approach. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on social media. And if you have suggestions for topics or guests, send us a message. Thank you for listening.